This is Behind the Whistle. Let's get this bad boy started. I'm ready, so go. All right, well, it is an honor, 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 honor. Thank you very much, Omri. We are going to get to it. Dr. Mari Ross Alexander from the Ross Behavioral Group, the Ross Center, the Ross Awesome, the doggone it, the bomb biggity. If you're old school, y'all know what the bomb biggity is. If you're new school and you don't know what that is, look, get get a hip hop album. Uh, A real album. album. Don't don't iTunes album. Go get the vinyl. Uh, It is an absolute honor and pleasure to be in the same space, not having uh, people steal my seats at the Black Student Athlete Summit while we're trying to sit next to Dr. Ross Alexander. It's an honor to have you here to speak with you for a few minutes. We appreciate your time. How are you? I am beautiful, and it's an honor to be asked to be here and to even just be here with the state of our world. Whew, the, we, you know what? That, that's, you are absolutely right. It is absol- the, the state of our world is it's absolutely interesting. And I think one thing that I've learned, or not learned, but one thing that I've thought of consistently over the past COVID-19 situation and all of the violence that we see on social media and television and the jargon and the rhetoric is I'm reminded that there is nothing new under the sun. Not anything. And for the, all of the advancements that we have made, I will acknowledge that. Yeah. You know, I was reading something on, um, I don't know where I was at. Oh, I think it might've been Twitter. Mm-hmm. And they were talking, you know, as soon as this whole Corona thing started happening, I'm a histor- uh, history buff. I love mm-hmm. uh, biographies and all these other kinds of stuff. So anyway, I have been reading about the flu of 1812 mm. for a while, the Spanish flu. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how the Great Depression happened right after that, you know, because of loss of jobs and all this other stuff. So I was like, okay, here we are, you know, right. and yeah. I, I see these things unfolding very similar to, to um, the pandemic um, mm-hmm. back then. And when I was looking at Twitter the other day, someone mentioned um, the Red Summer. And I don't mm. know if you've heard about that, but the Red Summer was basically this uprising of Black people right after the pandemic. <laughs> And uh, they were getting killed on the streets in the mm-hmm. summer. That's why they call it the Red Summer. Right. Um, and here we are. You know, we got the flu. We got the, you know, economic. We're in the same place as the Great Depression back in the 20s. Mm-hmm. And we have Black black people dying. The Black blood is starting to run up in the streets. Spill it. So you're right. History does repeat itself. And, and mm-hmm. we, you know, we have to get smart enough to actually listen, listen to the history and let right. it inform us on what we need to do next. Right. Absolutely. I remember when I was a kid, uh, my grandparents, and I know it was a huge thing. They said, if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. Uh, well, I think we knew and we still ain't. (laughs) No, I think we knew we, no, I think we have the ability to have the knowledge now, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Before you have to really search for the history. Right. Now it's really at our fingertips. And I think because we have so much information, we don't know what to really look for, what to really hold right. on to. Right, right, yeah. yeah. Like diluting, not they, I shouldn't say that because that implies something, but uh-huh. uh, there is a concerted effort to dilute the information. Right, absolutely, absolutely. Dilute it. And then if you get, uh, I always tell my students, because I, I teach uh, AP language and composition, so we, we analyze rhetoric. Right. Mm-hmm. So 
like one my last assignment for my students this year is to take uh social media posts concerning George Floyd and anything connected to it and they have to uh synthesize them and analyze them individually to decide and decipher what message is really being sent you know and i think uh that you're absolutely correct but i think a part of it is if you inundate someone with information they'll miss a whole lot of things like you remember I mean, y'all know you, you are, we in the same bracket of time. So you, you, you are, are well-versed in the, uh, in the Compton's encyclopedia and the encyclopedia Britannica. And yes. you know, when you, you were like well off, if you had those things in your house, right. You would, you were fancy. Yeah. Guess what? I used to read the encyclopedia because that's how much of a nerd I was. <laughs> hey, yes, absolutely. I remember when we went, we had the used Compton's. Uh, encyclopedia and I thought we I thought we were fancy uh, but I remember when we transitioned uh, Britannica put out the navy blue uh, leather bound inside oh because I used to have to go to the library you know you, you know that's when you could ride across town on your bike right you know the stranger danger you, you know it'd be a hundred people come out and whoop somebody right you know now they just videotape you getting beat up you know and somebody sees it yeah <laughs> So, but I, but I think you're right. It's like, it's, it's at the fingertips and it's all about the scroll now. And sometimes if you, if you swipe that thumb too fast, you might miss about 15 good stories. Right. It's the art of misinformation, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. So, to give you a whole bunch of information and some of it has a little bit of truth, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. it's, if you don't dig deep enough or listen, like you said, look at the rhetoric. What are they really trying to say? Mm -hmm. Then uh, you get lost in the sauce, as they say. Oh, way lost, way lost. I heard something about uh, Zuckerberg was, he made like $31.4 billion or something like that during this pandemic or whatever. You know, more props to you, get your money, man. But then I heard uh, where he said something related to, it wasn't, he didn't feel like any type of obligation for truth. No. And, and you had to, like, truth was something that was almost, like, negotiable or optional. And I'm thinking, well, wow, if, who, who gets to say that? <laughs> when, we thought, when we started, when we started not calling a lie a lie, right. we were already down that path. When right. we already said, it doesn't have to be true. Right. So said, even if I can validate it's not true, it's okay to still be said. I mean... You, you have again the art of you know misinformation same thing as the art of confusion right 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 and i know yeah hmm tell it again i don't know what to believe no and it's hard I, I get confused myself and i think i'm you know i'm a fairly intelligent person i've i've stated a few holiday inns in my life right uh, with the light on you know but how in the world how are you supposed to uh, not be anxious, and I know you you deal in, in these things, so we, we're going to dive into what it is you do, uh, and specifically, so in, in the context of the COVID-19 and misinformation and all of the, the, the mental health battles that take place, how, how is this, how are the, the, the times affecting your industry of work? If you, if you don't mind telling us a story or telling us about how you got to where you are, and then talk about how these things are affecting you. 
uh, well, I, you know, we, we don't have a long, we don't have enough time to talk about how I got here. <laughs> I say um, that I started off with a heart from helping um, black boys. That it's always, mm. it's always been my mission um, from a little, little girl. And part of that was because I was one of, you know, I was one of the oldest grandchildren that my grandparents had. Mm-hmm. And all my cousins were boys. The ones that are older than me were boys. The ones younger than me were boys. So I grew up with a whole bunch of boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I thought I was a boy. I thought I was a boy with a dress. You know, I always liked dresses. I was a girly girl, but I kick rocks and, you know, <laughs> race my cousins in my dress. You know, mm-hmm. um, my mother would, she's missed protocol. She'd be so upset because I'd be come home filthy, dirty. But I would be cute. I was a cute, filthy, dirty, right? Right, right. And so anyway, um, I slowly saw as I was growing up, my cousins get into these lifestyles that were just very um, challenging. Mm. Uh, saw them spend lots of time in, in jail and in prison. You know, a couple of them died, obviously. That's kind of what we, what we do. Um, we were either in prison, jail, or at school, um, our black boys. Right. And more, more in prison and jail. I mean, prison or, or dead than they are in school, you know? Right, um, right. That, was my, that was my growing up. And I always, and I was a daddy's girl too. So my daddy had three girls and uh, he was not a uh, girl dad. Mm. He was a dad of girls. So uh, <laughs> you had to, you know, watch NASCAR and you had to learn how to work on cars and watch boxing. And he was, mm-hmm. he was in boxing very heavily. Um, so I grew up, you know, in these kind of masculine sports with the dad that I loved sitting next to. I was the oldest child. And, you know, so I just grew up with a real heart for men. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad was a, or is a very tough, rough man, but yet would cry at a heartbeat. Like he, mm. his girls came in and he was proud of them. You see the tear fall down right. his face. It was just kind of, I don't know. It was just something about it. So anyway, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, got into law thinking that that's how I was going to save my, my, my black boys because I saw them all going to jail. So I'm like, okay, right. well, become a defense attorney and, and, and defend them, right. you know? And slowly, quickly, fastly found out that the system was stacked to not ever be fair right. to um, our black boys. And that's who you saw in courthouses all day long, every day. Yeah. I mean, I worked in a courthouse and literally from the moment it opened to the moment it closed, all I saw was black people. And I was in a population that was less than 10% was African-American. So it just made no sense to me. Right. So I figured out that that was not the way to help my black people. I went to my boss and said, hey, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. This is not it. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, and so I told her I quit. And she said, well, we actually help you pay for school. So uh, you either give us our money back or you figure out had to go back in that courthouse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I said, well, I really don't want to do either one of those. So is there anything else I can do? So she gave me a DSM, which is a diagnostic tool for therapists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she said, you know, and she was a black woman and I was in Arizona, so of all places. And so she said, mm-hmm. you know, this is the interesting thing. Um, you will find almost everybody that you go interview in that jailhouse in this book. Ooh. Ooh. So I went took this book and they tell me your story and I look up this criteria, but, Oh, they got this. Oh, they got that. Um, and I started understanding why or how they got to where they were, right. you know? And so once I figured that out, I figured out the way to affect change was not to defend them once they got there, but to help them help to prevent them from getting there. Right. And we could figure out these social ills that cause these kind of disorders that maybe that would be the way. 
Mm-hmm. So anyway, I went back to school for a thousand years and became um, what I am today, which is a behavioral health specialist is what I call myself anyway, mm-hmm. um, and, and really deal with the mental and emotional hurts, harms, and hangups that people mm-hmm. t- tend to live with or try to live with that right. causes dysfunctional behavior. Yeah. <laughs> Whoo, so you, I know you... I, I know you're busy. <laughs> I know you're busy. Yeah. So, yeah. Second part of your question, COVID. Uh, COVID mm-hmm. hasn't really changed much for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been doing telemed for years now, so this is nothing new. I, I try to stay. You know, I think I told you I study people, right? And right. I try to, to analyze societies and mm-hmm. communities and cultures, and I and I try to shift and um, manage to morph myself into whatever's needed at that mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I deal with student athletes and my athletes have been screen babies for all their life, you mm-hmm. know, so they've been on the screen. They don't know what it's like to have, to have a phone in their pocket from right. eight, nine, ten years old. So about five or six years ago, I started seeing that my athletes would rather talk to me on the phone mm-hmm. and be in the same room than to talk to me face to face in the same crazy. room. <laughs> so I mean, that's just what they were so used to, right? Mm-hmm. They talk to their friends that way. They talk to their parents that way, you know. Right. Besides sitting in a classroom, they and half of them are in behind a screen even there. They have their laptops up, and they're right. not really right. eye-to-eye with, the, with their um, instructor. Mm-hmm. So I started morphing into telemed, but like I said, about five or six years ago, um, and have seen lots of my student-athletes because, I, I mean, I'm stationed in one city, and they're all over right. the place um, right. being telemed. So for, for me, COVID hasn't really changed a whole lot in that, in that aspect. Mm-hmm. What I'm seeing, though, with my clients is a lot of anxiety, you know, mm-hmm. which is really normal because this is the unknown. We have right. no idea what's next. Right. Um, and it happens so suddenly. Mm-hmm. Um, so the anxiety level for most of my clients is pretty high right now. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I'm seeing a lot is that people are at home. So one thing I've always seen with student athletes is that that freshman year, like all students that come to college, is a rough year. It's a transition year, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's the first time that my athletes, for sure, have sat alone by themselves without people that they've known for all their life type of thing, right? Right, right. And they have this sport, and they're isolated, and they're trying to make a team, and all these other people have been here, and all this other Mm -hmm. stuff, and they're away from home. Right. So those young people tend to have some significant flooding of emotions, flooding of Mm -hmm. things they thought, they didn't even know where they they were bothering them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They kind of fall apart a little bit during their freshman year because all this stuff comes flooding out and they don't understand how to process it. So what I'm seeing with my clients, whether they be athletes or not, is that, that people are really sitting in silence. Like mm-hmm. it's quiet. And when it's quiet, you get to hear yourself think. Right. And if your thoughts have not been good thoughts and you've been able to distract yourself with work or, or driving to work or sports or whatever, you didn't even realize all these thoughts were actually happening. Right, right. People sitting in their mess mm-hmm. at home. Just, and they're trying to figure out why do I feel so bad? Why am I feeling so lethargic? Why don't why do I lack motivation? Mm-hmm. All these types of things that are happening because people are at are at home with themselves. Right. 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 <laughs> they have to actually deal with themselves uh, instead of putting that out on somebody else when they're out in the world. So those right. are you know that's how COVID really is affecting me. It's really more my clients are more state of awareness, crisis, anxiety, mm-hmm. that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the practice, it's not very new for me. No, no, okay. Well, that's and, and that's pretty cool that you that you were all you were already positioned 
in the telemed world uh, and to to be able to handle the what I would imagine would be kind of like an onslaught in some regards, especially since, like you said, now in that silence, you get to have that conversation with the person you've talked to every day for <laughs> your whole life, right? right? Your longest conversation is, you know, with right. yourself. <laughs> and so... Most likely it wasn't a positive one. You just didn't realize <laughs> it was so negative, you know? Right, right. Now you're like, well, why are you thinking like that? <laughs> just, right. And you're standing in the mirror. Like, I don't know why you... <laughs> just, yeah, right. and, and, I, and I'm not trying to make light of it. I just think that that's absolutely amazing that you said that. You just kind of... There's nobody here. There's nobody here, right. I have to sit with my own thoughts. I mean, right. it's why people don't like silence a lot of right. times. Right. Because whatever was rolling around their head, you know, when I, I try to teach people to meditate, and it's mm -hmm. really difficult for them to meditate because as soon as it's quiet, they start thinking of all the things they need to do. Mm -hmm. I, I do this, and I need to do that, and, and what about that? And, and they don't realize all those thoughts have always been going on. It's not because of meditation. Meditation didn't create that. Mm -hmm. It is that quiet enough for you to hear it. Right, right. And, and I think this year as a, as a high school teacher, this was one of the first years uh, or just one, this year specifically was one of the roughest years I've ever had in terms of trying to get my students to read silently. Oh, yeah. Because they just kind of looked at me they're like, what you, can I wear my headphones? Well, how, how, how are you reading <laughs> and listening to the Migos, like what, 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 what you doing? You, oh yeah, but it just calms me down, and I'm, I'm like, what? But you're not reading. You're, <laughs> you're not, but you're not comprehending. You might <laughs> right. read, comprehending, right? Right, zero comprehension. But I think that you just said it. It's the silence, and you know, I remember there was like this old saying that silence can be deafening sometimes, yeah. and I never really quite understood that until like as well as I do now. You know, right, like, right. Yeah, like how could silence be definite? Because you never shut up. Right? You, just... you never shut up, right? <laughs> right. So now let me ask you this: in this, in this, in this specific context, now we've got, uh, we we got, we're watching uh, live executions on uh, social media, uh, and I know there's going to be people that'll be upset with me saying that, but I'm gonna just call it what it is: a spade is a spade. Uh, a, a knee, you get, you vilify one for a knee, and uh, we, you know, and we don't vilify another. But I think you got arrested today, so you know, shout out for the uh, for the, for the rebellion you know, that led to that. Right, that you know, I'm sorry, the city had to burn to get you to yeah. lock. But so now, how does how, how do you, if if at all, has it has that been? Have you seen that being an uptick in some of your calls or? Or even even not even if it hasn't, how do you what what kind of advice do you give people that are like for coaches or parents or even athletes uh, as they go like you're seeing these things take place and now you're talking about transitioning college athletes specifically these football players and basketball players which happen to be predominantly people of color black people and and African Americans whichever terms you want to use how. What, what advice do you have on dealing with that as, as they return? So, you know, one thing that I, I stress to my athletes and my coaches, probably even more than that, mm -hmm. is that acknowledgement is very powerful. Mm -hmm. um, so when we start ignoring things, then I get to internalize your silence, your silence. I get to internalize that. Like, right. Do you not care? And so then as soon as those questions come up, then there's trust issues and there's mm. 
accountability issues. And if you're talking about building a team culture, those are the things that are team killers. Right. You know, so, you know, what I advise is to have some authentic conversations. You don't have to say, so how do you feel about George Floyd? <laughs> right. Say, has what's going on in the world impacted you? Mm-hmm. Let them answer. Or how has it impacted you? And they may say, right. it hasn't. It's probably mm-hmm. a lot. Um, or or they not, they're not fully aware of the impact True. yet. True. Um, or they may say, coach, thank you for asking. Like, I'm struggling. I'm really, mm-hmm. really struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, so as, as adults, the, the adult adults of these, these student athletes, it's our job mm-hmm. to make sure that we're checking in with them to see if they're okay and not being afraid of those conversations. Mm-hmm. Whether I'm white, black, purple, or green, it's still impactful. Right, um, right. So, you know, I also advise turning off the TV. Like, do not watch this stuff. Right. Right? I mean, yes, we have to know what happened, but you don't need to be a witness to what happened. Right. Um, there's a whole thing called vi- vicarious trauma that could be um, inflicted on somebody, meaning that I didn't experience the trauma, but my, I was traumatized by watching your trauma. Right, right. Um, and that's just as real as being traumatized yourself. So right. PTSD is very real, even if you've never experienced the war. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, protecting our minds, protecting our hearts, mm. uh, that's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really important. So, you know, stepping away from social media, you know, but yet still being knowledgeable about what's happening. But as far as advice, it is definitely that acknowledgement piece. Right. Of, you know, how is this impacting you? Let, let there be space and room to talk about it. Right, right. Absolutely. And, and I, I thank you for saying that because I know, you know, one of the conversations I was having uh, yesterday in regards to athletes returning to campus is, you know, we, we hear a lot of publicized uh, conversations about, the social distancing and how they're going to train athletes, how they're going to, you know, check their temperatures and, and everybody's going to get the testing and so on and so forth. But I have yet, and I know there are several conversations that are now taking place. I know Dr. Gill, Emily Gill was doing some, uh, he did a webinar last night on, uh, you know, some suggestions for the mental health services that need to be provided for student athletes of all walks. Um, and obviously in uh, particular of, of people, you know, impacted in those communities and uh, and in, uh, in groups, obviously, you know, African-American athletes are seeing these things uh, <clears throat> and there's a large cry. But anyway, uh, so we, we see these things, talk, we see them take place and they're talking about whether well, athletes need to be two yards apart and they got this whole plan. But I haven't heard the first thing in terms of how we're going to address what they've gone through. You know, we've called this the most unprecedented time and everything else like that. We use all of the, you know, the rhetoric and the jargon and hyperbole. And it's true. It's unprecedented in, in some context. But like you said, in 1918, people wore uh, masks to uh, football games. Right. This is not new. Right? It's not new, right? Was there, there was a plan in place or there were some actions taken after Katrina. And there was a lot of people that died. And so I'm just wondering, I understand that we can't see the virus versus you can see a flood, but treating people right and checking on their welfare seems to be a back burner at all points. And it always has been. So okay. again, that's not new either. Right. So we've always, you know, you know, regardless of how we feel about the NCAA or whatever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. always had rules and regs around their physical health. Right, right. Their physical safety. Mm-hmm. Um, 
mental safety and the mental health has been relatively new. Right. Um, came out with some best practices in 2018, 19. So right. this is two years ago. Um, and even then it's best practices. There's no requirements. There's no right. mandate that you have to do certain things. Right. So, you know, always worried about their bodies and we rarely have worried about their minds. So I'm not really surprised mm. by that. Um, and, and it, it takes people that do what I do to sound the alarms because the people who don't, don't get it anyway. Like they don't even right. understand. Right, right. Right. Mm-hmm. I have, I've had three basketball girls reach out to me today, mm-hmm. you know, just saying, Hey, Dr. Martin, can we talk? You know, I know what that's about. I had a track athlete who just finished her season. I mean, finished her, her, her education, reach out to me a couple of days ago. You know, she's having family of origin issues. She's been mm. home too long. She's never been home this long in all of her career. Oh, wow. She's played, I mean, you know, she's a, she's a, she's a track and field athlete. So mm-hmm. track and field's still going in the summer. Right. You know, so she's home for a couple weeks mm-hmm. and then she's right back at school. Right. The first time she's been home for three months in four years wow. and she left home for a reason. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. it went far from home for a reason. <laughs> far. Far, you know. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, it takes people like me who know those stories, who mm-hmm. sit with the athletes, who, who can say to coaches, hey, coach, you really need to be concerned about your players. They're not over at home just watching video games. <laughs> right. You know, that's not what's occurring. Mm-hmm. Half of them are going to become the second parent to their sibling that they didn't have to worry about when they were at school mm-hmm. or they had to go get a job to help because mama just lost hers, right. you know? Right. Or they not, they're not able to be with their grandparents because grandparents can't be around them with this whole COVID, this COVID thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. they have lots of student athletes that are dealing with life issues beyond anxiety and not knowing if they're going to be able to play again and not knowing what's going to happen right. and fear the unknown stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, but most people don't get those intimate details like I do or like other yeah. professionals like me. So really, is it, the onus is on us to sound the alarms and sound the bells and say, hey, you have got to make sure that these kids are okay because they're not just, like I said, sitting at home playing video games, enjoying mm-hmm. their time off. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm glad you said that because one of the things uh, that I've heard a lot of uh, mental health professionals, cl- uh, clinicians, practitioners safe out of the gate was we gotta we gotta start being proactive in this time because you have a lot of athletes like you just mentioned there's a reason you recruited some of these people and and not all of it was you know connected to the talent but it was also some of those experiences that they were fleeing because that was kind of a that that was a motivating factor for them to perform well because they didn't want to go back home right (laughs) and so now they're back home and dealing with that. And so will you talk about a little bit about, and, uh, and I know this is uh, more deeply connected to what you do. I know you do a lot of work uh, with, uh, with, with coaches in terms of how they, um, they, you do some analysis of athletes before they come on the campus. Will you talk about that, that those types of relationships and some of that work with, with what you do with Ross? So, um, you know, of course I always have to plug my most favorite school. Um, oh, I get yeah. Because this is my most favorite, it is uh, Campbell University. Absolutely, winner. And um, and what he's been allowed, he's allowed me to do and to learn. Uh, you know, we learn a lot in school about what we do, right? Mm-hmm. And then you go try to apply it, and none of it works. You're like, wait a minute, this this doesn't work how the book said it was going to. Right. Um, 
And so he's given me a platform and a place to actually hone this particular part of, of the craft. Mm -hmm. And so in this pre-assessment, which the NCAA asks that, that schools do a pre-assessment mm -hmm. um, of athletes. Part of that pre-assessment is physical, majority of it. Right. And there's nine, eight, ten questions here or there about their mental health that nobody usually really pays attention to, as long as mm -hmm. it's not saying vital, right? That's the only thing they care about. Mm -hmm. So in, in the last eight years with, with MIT, I've been able to actually develop a comprehensive assessment. It's all about psychosocial, meaning their, mm. their, their mental, emotional, physical well-being. Right. Um, so I give them a survey. It's about 120 questions long. They really love those 120 questions. <laughs> um, yep. It's virtual. So they do it, you know, on their own time, wherever they are, you know, it, mm -hmm. it is not time sensitive. They can take mm -hmm. three weeks or do it in 20 minutes, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, once I get those back, I, you know, I bet those and see where, if there's anything that's, that stands out to me. And I'm looking mm -hmm. at really five different areas of their life, their personality, mm -hmm. Um, their family of origin, where do they come from, um, mm -hmm. their emotional grounding, their spiritual grounding, how mm -hmm. they learn, you know, are they a kinesthetic learner, auditorial learner, you know, how, you know, how does that happen? Um, and then I pull all those together to kind of give me this, this, this picture right. of the athlete. And then I do a small little clinical interview, 10 minutes mm -hmm. of the time where I just kind of flesh through what they've answered. You know, mm -hmm. give me, mm -hmm. And then I come up with, okay, this is who this kid is. Um, I don't give it to, I usually do this during recruitment. So this is right. way before they get on campus. Mm -hmm. um, and so once the kid signs with, with, with the team, then I, I help the coaches understand who the player is. I don't give them the information. I just kind of help them understand. Okay. So you got Johnny, Johnny's orange, you know, we mm -hmm. do this color. So orange means he's going to be more of the impulsive type, you know, usually my DBs are that way, which is good because they take chances. They take right. risks. They how do we hone that in uh, when they're out socially with their friends? Right. You know, mm -hmm. how do we kind of make sure they make really good choices <laughs> even though they like to be spontaneous? Right. Uh, and so I help translate really who this player is to the coach. Mm -hmm. And I also help the coach translate who he is to the player. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Kind of marry these two people and say, okay, this is how you work. This is how you work. This is how we can work together. Right. Um, right. And so, but in that assessment, it, it, you know, of course, the coaches just want to know how does the kid work. That's it, right? Right. For the yeah. part. But for me, it helps me understand where does the kid need to develop? What, mm -hmm. what parts of him do I need to pay attention to? So mm -hmm. if there's an origin issue before they ever get on campus, it didn't go away because they moved on campus. Right, right. Yes, yes. Right. So then we get to, you know, do some family work, help them understand how to communicate to their family, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm, I'm in the business of building a better human being, not a better athlete. Right. Right. Let the coaches build better athletes. I'm, I'm building a better human being. And I do that with this pre-assessment mm -hmm. because the pre-assessment gives me contact with an athlete before they get on campus, but it also gives the athlete knowledge of who the behavioral health person is. And it's not this scary person I got to talk to when I'm crazy. Right. Yes. Yes. Keep going. Yes. Please keep going on that. So we just have, you know, we have this ongoing conversation. So I develop a relationship with them starting in January, like, you know, in football anyway, November, mm -hmm. December, January is when I get to, you know, talk to these kids and they come to campus in August. But by the time mm -hmm. August has come around, we've had four five, six conversations. I'm just right. Dr. Mari now, right? right. I, I'm just Dr. Mari, one of the, one of the coaches, I just mm -hmm. coach something different. Um, and, and they're really open to 
moving themselves to these places that I've seen as kind of maybe the weaker spots or the missing holes in, in their story. Mm-hmm. So that's what I, you know, that's what my pre-assessment is. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's comprehensive. It takes, a, you know, quite a bit of time, but it's well worth it when I, right. when I know how to make sure this athlete's going to be successful. Right, right. Now, you mentioned something in there when you talked about pairing the athlete and the coach. Now, do you uh, – how, how, how well not, – not, I guess I don't want to say how well, but how, how do you see the benefits or what are the benefits you see of doing that in terms of helping the coach understand where uh, he fits with an athlete or how to even engage in those conversations? Because I know a lot of times, you know, you have the coach says, well, I'm old school. You know, okay. and this this is just what it's going to be, you know. I say we'll go get some old school players. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. You need to get some players that are 40, 50 years old, you know, so they can think like you. <laughs> so what is that? You know, I, I've gotten a little older in my in my life. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. older, your filter kind of leaves. I'm very respectful, <laughs> but I say what I have to say. Right. So I hire coaches more than they hire me. Mm. Um. And, and so if a coach is not willing to make the changes that are necessary to, to fit these kids, mm-hmm. that may become the kid's friend. That's not what I'm saying. Just right. like I told you earlier is that I saw this trend where kids were not coming into the office, but they, they call me in the next room. <laughs> right. I say, no, old school says you got to come in this room, sit in this room with me and talk mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Or I could say, you know what? I can fight that fight or I can just get with the program and get the kid on the, on the phone and actually further faster than trying Mm -hmm. to do it my way. My old. Right. So I, I I really only work with coaches that are willing Mm -hmm. to to make the necessary changes, but I also hear what the, I mean, at the end of the day, the coach is my boss, right? So I'm also hearing what the coach wants and I'm directing them and guiding them how to get that the best way with these athletes. Mm. So usually I have a lot of buy-in from the coaches. Okay, good. Um, and I keep it real. You know, I, I just say what I got to say. And I'm like, hey, hey, coach, we can do that. But let me tell you why it's not going to work. Right, right, right. Well, we can try this. And if it works, let's keep doing it. If it doesn't, we'll throw it out. And I'll get you something else. Right. You know? And so, again, I, I hire coaches just as much as they hire me. Mm-hmm. You know, they see the benefit. You know, you know, coachment is usually very complimentary, except when I make a mat, about, <laughs> about <laughs> what we have been able to create and what we've done. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sees... The, the benefits of it. Right. So just as much as I'm developing my players, a lot of times I spend time developing my coaches to be the, the, the coach that the players need. Right, right, right. And yes, so that, that see that, and I think that just, that is just so fascinating because I know uh, a lot of time uh, what I've encountered as a coach in the, on the secondary level, obviously I haven't coached, you know, college or the NFL, but I, a lot of times what, I, what I've encountered on the secondary level is like this resistance to, to change. And, I, and I'm not, I guess, you know, I know KRS-One says if you want to change, the, you want to use a different word for revolution, you just say, call it change, right? But <laughs> it's... You know, it takes that much of a mindset to change yourself. It has to be a whole, you know, paradigm shift. Right, a whole shift. And so, but I, and I notice when, I, when I've been in, in different spaces, and, and it's obviously not everybody, and I'm not, you know, casting any aspersions. I'm just saying what it is. My filter is 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 thinning as well, <laughs> just a little. But what I what I've noticed is in that resistance, I've seen like just so many unnecessary conflicts. And right. I'm thinking, man, you could have just said, look, man, this is what we need. 
this is how we're going to get this done. You know, and I think one of the greatest uh, barriers to, I guess, the old school and the new school now is having to explain the why. Right, right. Well, you know, so again, history, right? The great coaches, the Phil Jacksons and, mm -hmm. and the, um, the guy in New England, um, Belichick, Belichick. Mm -hmm. those guys do explain. Mm -hmm. absolutely explain the why mm -hmm. their, their their standards don't change right. they still want this right but they'll tell you why we're doing what we're doing they have mm -hmm. no problem with that vulnerability they don't have this ego that says i have to you have to follow my rules without knowing who i am right popovich same kind of yeah. guy if you if you if you look at the coaches who are highly successful, not mm -hmm. anybody can win a championship because that's luck of the draw. Right. Very special coaches win dynasties or create True. dynasties. Yes. Right. Yes. So the guys who create the dynasties, those are the guys that really are very relational people. So people mm -hmm. don't see Belichick as a relational guy. Mm -hmm. He's not when you're not on his team. Right. So no, he ain't got no time for you. <laughs> no, right? I ain't talking to you. He's talking to you like waste of time. Talk about a waste of time. He's like, why would I spend time talking to you? You're not gonna help me win no dynasty, right? <laughs> but the guys right. that are in the field house now, mm -hmm. he has he spends all of his time mm -hmm. nurturing, guiding, teaching. He's a little rougher and gruffer than I am. You know, right. delivery is different, but it's the same thing. I'm gonna tell you the truth. I'm going to mm -hmm. tell you how that's not going to work. We're going to work together to make sure we're, you know, we're on the same page and then we're going to go execute well. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> it is those, so the coaches that don't do that, they are, they're thinking that if I work like, I, I, you know, I'm a Twitter person. So I mm -hmm. retweeted somebody saying that you putting a whole lot of whole, a whole lot of hours in as a coach doesn't make you a winner. It's not that that doesn't do anything. Right. A lot of times you waste a whole lot of time doing a whole bunch of nothing, right. Right? right? Productivity is what makes you win. How productive you are, and you can do that in three, four hours, and you don't have to be in the, sleeping on the couch. I know some coaches that literally sleep on their couch and don't right. go home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, so it is this mindset that says that I'm here to win, I'm gonna do what it takes to win, but winning's not the ideal. Nurturing the people who are going to win is the idea. Right, right. I have to get out of the way. My ego has to get out of the way. What I think needs to happen has to get out of the way. And I got to start looking at who I got here and how do I make the best out of those people? What do I need right. to do to get the best out of those people? That's what Phil Jackson did when he's with the Bulls and when he's with the Lakers. Mm -hmm. He had people say, how do I make that guy better than what he is today? Right, right, right. Get him. How do I make that guy follow my rules? Mm -hmm. He didn't say that. Wasn't worried about that. He was passing out books. <laughs> <laughs> Based on oh, his, his read of I mean, you know, it's like, <laughs> but, but so again, we, so historically that, that's not necessarily true that coaches mm -hmm. are just old school. This is the way it is. Right. Those are the ones that get the notoriety, the ones that are winning the dynasties are the ones that you don't know nothing about generally because they, they don't have time to talk to you about nothing. They're not time. Right. They don't have time to tell you who they are. Right. They're not wasting time on that. Right. <laughs> yeah. They're not really writing books. Books. not too much you know <laughs> Phil Jackson wrote his after he retired you know that right. type of thing right when he was right. done he said oh let me go write this book right right exactly yes because yes he was busy reading them while he was coaching he was busy reading them right and trying to figure out how to be better how does he 
really not even be better, but how does he make them better, which means I have to make myself better. And the right. way he made himself better is by reading. Right, right. Yes. And, and I think it's absolutely right. fascinating that that happens because I think when I, when I think about coaching, especially now, and it's been an evolution, I'm not trying to pretend like I, I, was, uh, I was Phil Jackson as a, as a young coach. I was, <laughs> I was doing all kind of wrong. Uh, and I, you know, I admit that, but you know, you evolve, hopefully, or you don't. <laughs> right. Uh, but if, you know, when I think about what you said earlier about psychosocial, and I think that there needs to be more uh, work and development, especially in the, uh, in the, in the higher ed level of how we're developing teachers, right? So like in the college of education with all the teachers that we're training in the pre-service programs in regards to the psychosocial development of students, and human beings, right? Because I, I don't know, and I didn't go through a pre-service program, but I've spoken to a lot of teachers that have, and I work with a lot of them. And it's like you said earlier, you go through these programs and nothing in these books they give you prepares you for what beats you in, in the building. And so I wonder, why do they go through the program? Well, I mean, so you're gonna send me down a whole rabbit hole. <laughs> You know, we, we as human beings, maybe, I don't know, definitely as Americans, we mm -hmm. have to measure. There's always have some, something has to be measured. Somebody has to make you right. Right, right. And some of this is, I didn't become a therapist because I went to school. Right. I've always been a therapist and I figured it out. Right. You know, I'm like, I always have been this kind of intuitive person that could feel other people and, and, and solve problems that other people didn't necessarily know how to solve. Right. They seem like common sense to me, mm -hmm. but to other people, not common. It's no different. Like me, me and Coach Mint, we talk a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, one time he was sitting there just talking to me about football, and I've been around football my whole life. Like I love football. It's my sport, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I don't understand X's and O's. Right. Like I, I don't even get that. Like There's no I, schematics. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. Over here. And so he was trying to break something down for me. He's like, da da da. He's like, this, that, another. I was like, yeah, I got nothing. Like, I, I, yeah, uh, I don't know. Right. And so his, his ability to see the game and, and develop plays and develop these schemes is something I'll never have. Right. He helped me understand what's happening on the field. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I can pay attention and see what's happening on the field, but I'll never be that person to make that happen. Right. Same thing with him and, and what I do. You know, right. I, I can explain to him, like, oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah, but he couldn't be the person that develops the treatment plan to get this person to the next place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm saying that all to say is that some of us, you know, we have to find our gifting, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the world makes us get the credentials. Right, instead of the work on the gift. To fit our gifting. Right. Right. And, and so that's my rabbit hole that I'm like, if people would actually sit in their gifting, like mm -hmm. what they are really created to do and do that, right? right. I don't need to become a therapist. Like, no, no, be a coach. Teach people how to be a better coach. Let me do therapy. But what right. we like to do is one, make you get the credentials to do what we say that you can do. Mm -hmm. That's one. And two, we want all people to do all things. Right. Right. So the teacher that went to the class that didn't get anything out of it might not be the person to be a teacher. Right. Right. right? Yes. Yes. Who was going to get something out of it already had it in them. You just brought it out. Right. Yes. 
So when I went to school to become this particular part of like law, that wasn't my thing. I could do it. It wasn't my thing. Right. When I came over here, it was like, oh, yeah, that is the word for the thing I've been doing all my life. Right. Give me language to what I was already doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when I'm trying to develop people, I'm also trying to develop that part of them. Like, I need you to get to know yourself so well that the job for you falls in your lap because it's the only thing you know you can do. Like it, right. it is it, it is it. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. long way to say why, you know, why does this occur? Well, because somebody said that we got to have this education. And when my big mama was one of the best therapists I know, and mm-hmm. she had great education, that's how that, you know. Right. Yes, exactly. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Right. So cause systems say, this is how, you got to do it. Right. <laughs> That's how we do it. Right. But like, like social for me is easy, mm-hmm. right? When I have to teach a psychosocial to a therapist, I always wonder if they should be a therapist. Mm. Right. Yes. Yes. So that's where I'm going with it. Like, mm-hmm. I always kind of question like, this is not innate for you. This is, this is not this, you're just not cut out for that. Right, right. Again, we're in a society, especially in America, mm-hmm. where you can be want to be. So people right. say, well, I'm going to be this because I want to be this, not because I should be this. Right, right. Yeah, I, I'm free, so I can, I can make my choice. Right. Yeah. So See, I can go be the world's worst attorney because I can be an attorney. Instead of saying, right. nope, guess what? That is not for me. Right, <laughs> you're getting brothers me. locked up left and right. <laughs> Cause I'm mad at the judge. I'm about judge. You are stupid. <laughs> like, nah, that's probably not what you should say to the judge. It's probably not. Yes, and you know, and I, I and I said I asked that question because sometimes I wonder, like, if you know, like, why, you know? And then they get in, and you get people in the buildings, and they're like, well, I, I, nah, this ain't for me. So then, like, why did why would we take their money to make them do that if that wasn't like really the thing? And I'm thinking maybe, and this probably sounds silly, but you know, to somebody, it makes sense to my mind. Uh, why, why we don't spend more time, I guess, in, in, in more of like an interdisciplinary type of conversation so that you can figure out where your gifting really is inside of the space that you have to, where you, you, we know that you have to have a degree to do X, Y, Z. But why do I need to get this specific thing when if I could get, you know, does that make sense? because again we have to measure people like you can't let people just be like so we we used to so old school like you said me and you a little bit yeah, on we, the other side yeah and my mom and them even on the other side of that like, right yeah so back in the day in education you know it, it, it even changed with my sister who's six years younger than me so mm-hmm. somewhere between us um you know vocational schools were big and right. um this kind of interdisciplinary uh, education was big in high school. Mm-hmm. You know, like you had home ec and you had um, auto mechanic and you had all this stuff at school where you could start trying some things on to see what fit for you. What did you like? Right. You know, the, your, what, what you like tends to be your passion. You, you, mm-hmm. you're, you're moving that direction. You just need to know right. a little bit more about it to see. Right. right? Yes. So once we start taking those that out of school and school only became a conduit for college. Right. 
like all we're doing is teaching AP so you can go to college as a sophomore or junior. You don't even have to go right. to college anymore. You go ahead and you already <laughs> have to go to high school. Right. You know, then we lost the ability for people just to understand themselves, just to try things on. Mm -hmm. So I have lots of athletes, in fact, that, you know, I become the career counselor too. And I'm like, what do you want to do, son? I don't know. Okay, you don't have to know. And I don't want you to know. I don't right. want you to know until you know. Okay. Right. So what I want you to do for the next year of your life is really, I want you to take a class in everything you could possibly take a class in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And see what you spend time thinking about. Right. There's going to be a class that's going to pique your interest. No doubt. Right? Run with like, it. <laughs> I, and you'll think it's because I like the professor. Oh, I like the professor. No, mm -hmm. the professor brought something out that touched you. Mm -hmm. Right? So my point is, is that we don't spend enough time because we don't have a system. Again, me and my systems, we don't have a system mm -hmm. in place that allows us to, to do that. Right. You know, right. My young ladies, and this is probably gender, whatever. I'm never politically correct anymore. That's but, all right. You know, gender, genderism, sexism, whatever. But I tell young ladies, do not pick a mate. Please don't pick a mate until after you have finished college, if that's where you're going, mm -hmm. and you spend one whole year, one calendar year by yourself. Mm. Mm -hmm. College is quasi-adulthood. It's not real adulthood. You still got not people, real. Yeah. You know, people taking care of you. People cooking for you. You can have a roommate, but I want your roommate to not be your friend. I want it to be a real roommate, mm -hmm. right? So like that you guys should share bills and share costs, mm -hmm. right? Spend a whole year, four seasons, trying to figure out who you are. Do you like to get up early in the morning? Do you like to stay up late at night? Do you like to party? Mm -hmm. Do you like quiet? Do you like loud music? Do you, what do you like? Who are you after mm -hmm. all the other stuff is gone? When it's quiet, right. again, it's quiet. Right. Now let's start talking about who you're going to make because now you know who you are. So you know who you should make with. Right. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I know that. that yes. My whole mission in life is to slow things down and quiet things enough for people to hear themselves, whether it be about who I'm going to mate with, what right. career I'm going to have, you know, where I want to live in the world, right. whatever. If you quiet yourself enough and you actually deal with what, the, what those voices come out, out as, mm -hmm. you will know exactly where you're supposed to be. Right, right. The world doesn't let things happen that way. No, no, at all. Right? At all. We brush, we brush through everything. We're rushing everybody through everything. Right, right. Sprint. Sprint. Hurry yeah. up. Hurry up. Hurry up. And now I think it's even worse with the, uh, with these things. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Because you're never off. You never... I had, so when um, iPhone first came out with the read, where you can read the, like you can say if you read somebody's text. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. About six months after that came out, I, I started saying, why are all these, it was a young, young women for the most part, why are all these young girls got this anxiety around relationships? Like, they ready to jump, jump off a bridge because the boy didn't read the text. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how do you even know he read the text? Mm -hmm. And so that's when they start telling me, because, you know, I'm, I'm oblivious sometimes, about this red. He left me on red for 20 minutes. Left you on red? What does that even mean? Right. And so they start showing me on the phone where they could see what time he read it. Right. And then they're analyzing why it took so long. That's too much work. To that's too much work. And it built in this anxiety around the relationship because there was this, this thought process that if he really liked me, he'll respond right now. Oh, no. That's no. Better not. <laughs> That's too much. 
six months of people. I'm like, oh my gosh. So then what I started saying in therapy, logical to me, mm-hmm. tell him to turn it off. Mm. And right. I need you to turn your red off too. Right. I need you to function like a regular human being where right. you're not constantly looking at your phone to see if somebody likes you based on how quickly they answered your text. Right. Yes. Those likes. The likes, the all, right. all this. So it's a, it's a constant barrage of judgment. Right. right. Analysis. Instead of just being. Right. Just like, be. If I'm good with myself, you ain't got to text me for two days. Now I'm worried that something happened to you. Yeah. But it doesn't affect my value of myself. Because mm-hmm. you decided not to text me for two days. Right. That, yeah, that tells me something about you. That, that has nothing to do with me. Too, right? <laughs> now, again, Mari will do that. Mari will go and not text somebody all day and maybe the next day, right? Mm-hmm. But if you read it like that, you'll think I just don't like right. it. Right, yes. But if you know what my life looked like, I'm probably on five different airplanes, right? right? And by the time I got home, my phone was probably dead. And then I charged <laughs> it while I was charging, I fell asleep. And so the next morning, when it actually dings 15 times, I'm trying to figure out who do I need to text first. Right. Right? Yeah. There's no, it, there's nothing about how I feel about you. Right, right. I the same treatment that Boothang gets. <laughs> right right yeah it's all because how my life is scheduled has nothing to do with my relationship with you so anyway that's a long way to say that these phones and all these other things that we have create more of this space where we don't really know who we are we're always kind of measuring who we are based on what somebody's responses to us mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and that and i think that you you know you've answered all of my questions <laughs> Without he said, you need to stop talking now, lady. <laughs> no, no, I, I, but I got, I still got to ask the one. Like, I, I guess I tell people it's our essential question from academic. Okay. It's how do you build great ancestors? And like I say, I think you've answered the question, but just in a, if I give you like a direct that direct question, that's a hard question to answer. I think. Because yeah, but go. Not me. This is me how sitting. I think every time you heal from something that's happened to you, you have built strong ancestors. Because mm. mm. you're not perpetuating the pain over and over again. Right. The Whatever gr- the pain is. Wow. Okay, say that one more time for the people. You gotta get it, because I was, I was pup daddy over here. Take that. <laughs> I said, every time that you heal, you are growing great ancestors, right? Because you don't perpetuate the pain. That's amazing. So whatever you're healing from, even if it's healing from not allowing myself to make the right choice about my career, mm-hmm. right? Right. I healed. That. I right. didn't stay stuck. In it. Well, I went. I spent school all this time, and now I gotta just go ahead and stay being miserable over here in this courthouse. No. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. I healed that. That's what my mama did, and she wasn't happy doing that. Right. 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 So you pass that on to me and I struggled and oh my gosh, oh my God, I love my mother, but oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, right? And right. so I said, no, I'm only going to do what I love. Right. Right. right? Yeah. So then guess what I teach my, teach my kids? Do what you love. Only do what you love. Do what you love. They have permission to not like things. They have permission to fail at things. Right. Right? So they figure out, because you won't fail the thing that you love. You will not fail at it, I promise. Right, 
Right. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And I. Yes. And I. Kate, I'm gonna put my hand up. This is this is me putting the hand up. And I think that's what's missing right now. Yes. Don't, we don't let kids fail anymore. You don't let them fall. Like I, I remember uh, last week, Omri's riding the bike. We go on the walks. Right now, we go. We walk in. The, I walk in the middle of the street. You know, because because Black Lives Matter. Uh, and, and you know, and I'm I'm three fifty plus, so I, I'm not getting proper treatment uh, if I engage, right? And some of my my neighbors, even though I pass by their homes at you know seven forty in the morning, multiple days a week, they still look at me like they've never seen me, and I try to ever. wear the same ever. clothes, right, every time. You the same size, right? You ain't never changed yeah. size, right? Like, look, I ain't I ain't lost but like three ounces <laughs> in two weeks. Uh, so my clothes ain't fitting any better, but I, so I go outside and I got my, I, li I like to call it now people, you know, they don't think I'm, I'm getting on myself. I just, you know, I like cracking jokes. So I'm, I'm outside looking like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man in this Adidas pullover. <laughs> I'm the, uh, the black Michelin man with this top on and I got on bright red shoes. You cannot miss my big black body. Right. right. And I passed by this house on the corner twice on my route home, right? On my way out, on my way in. And this lady just had to, she's just staring at me like I was about to steal something. I'm, I'm like, Heffa, I don't want your stuff. I, I live but down the street from you. This time you might want it though. <laughs> like, like, I live literally at the end of this cul-de-sac. We live in the same neighborhood. That means. We doing something, something similar. Something, something similar. Right. But she's staring at me and I'm just like, oh, I can't even imagine. So we, you know, just processing those thoughts. So, but so I'm thinking about like failure. So Omri's riding down the street last week and he decides he's riding his bike. He decides he's going to make this sharp turn. And I'm like, boy, you, you ain't got it like that. You, you're not, you are not Dave Mira. You don't have it like that. So he makes this turn. Pow. And now, you know, the, the, the coach in me, and, and I was raised by a man who grew up on, on a, a tobacco farm in North Carolina. You're going to get an immediate response from me. Get up. Get up. <laughs> You'll be all right. <laughs> Touch yourself off. <laughs> right. You know, because I'm thinking, okay, we got to get up. But the other part is we're in the middle of the street. Yeah. So if a car comes around this corner, they're not going to see your little, your little brown butt. You're going to get <laughs> run over. I said, son, get up. You know, people hear me, you know, because they, they'll come out in the garage and they start looking to hear my loud voice, you know. Oh, somebody's yelling at this little child. I got to get this boy ready. Yeah, yeah. I got to get him. He's eight, but I got to get him ready. Yeah. Get, we don't have time. You get up. You got to stand tall and fight. And uh, that's what boys are missing. That's where kids are missing, right? Right. So my, my daughter's a type 1 diabetic, and mm -hmm. she, she got diagnosed at eight. And we've never treated her special, right? Mm -hmm. We modify our life, yeah, because it needs to be modified, right? But um, we never treated her special. Mm -hmm. And so she turned 17. Well, she was 17. She graduated from high school early, and she mm -hmm. wanted to study abroad in Spain mm -hmm. during her, you know, the gap semester that mm -hmm. she was not in school. And, and I had friends who were like, you're going to let her go? She's, she's, she's type 1 diabetic. I was like, yeah, and she's always going to be one. <laughs> she has to learn to live with that. Right. She has to learn to deal with that. She has to learn how to be on her own with that. Right. So I have to let her fail. 
Right. Even if failure means a hospitalization, right? Right. She got to learn. We've trained her not to do that. Mm -hmm. We let her go other places, you know, here or there. Nothing that is, you know, a seven-hour plane ride right. across the ocean. <laughs> but it was required. Right. You know what I'm saying? It, it, if not now, at some point, it was right. required that I let her fail with her own disorder that she had to learn how to own because she was going to live with it. She's going to live with it for the rest of her life. Right. Yes. So, you know, we have to, as parents, learn how to let go and let them figure things out. Right. That's the only way they learn. That's the way you learn. The only way I learn is to actually figure it out on our own. And hopefully we have parents like you who are safety nets. They can say, get up because your car can run you over. Yeah. Right. And a parent like me that says, honey, you're going to go across seas. Make sure you have your insurance. Make sure you know what MD you're going to go to. Make sure you have all these things in place. So I'm sitting here giving her all the recipe and the, and the rules and the, and the map to mm -hmm. being healthy. It becomes her choice to actually follow it. Right. It's like because your son's choice to actually get up. He could have just laid there. He could have just laid right? there. But you gave him the road map of how not to get hit by a car. Get exactly. Up. Get up. And when you get hurt, you still got to keep going. Right. Get your butt back on that bike and keep pedaling. Keep pedaling. It's okay. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, if we, if we really took that stance and really thought about our children in ways, in that way that we equip them, we don't just send them out. We equip right. them. And then we let them fail. And we just, we just there to pick them up, mm -hmm. put them back on the bike, and keep going. We could actually heal a lot of what's happening in our children. But again, you said, how do we build great ancestors? If I haven't dealt with my own pain, mm -hmm. my own issues, then when my, I see those same issues in my child, I don't handle them well then either. Right. Because you don't know how to do it. You haven't done it. You ain't figured it out. Right. Right. Yes. Yes. You're right. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. That's, that's true. I had a conversation with my mother. Oh, what was this? Last year. My son graduated from Grand Canyon. Oh, congratulations. Shout out to the other uh, institution in uh, the uh, greater Phoenix area. Uh, oh, here I got my- Phoenix even? Well, look, I got my, look, look. You better do it, Arizona State! Shout out to Coach Herm Edwards. That's right. Uh, he came to the greatest school in the country. <laughs> the Global Sports Institute or whatever it's called, they do some great work out there. Anyway, uh, so we were at Grand Canyon. And I was having a conversation with my son about like, uh, what was it? It was about a 200 year plan, right? And so the concept of building uh, this 200 year plan. So 200 years from now, what does life look like for your descendants? Mm -hmm. right? And I told my mother about it and she, she and I talked briefly. She said, well, where in the world did you come up with that? And it was at that moment that I realized we never had that type of conversation. Right, right. And it wasn't an indictment against my mother. But why would she have the conversation like that if her people didn't think about that? Exactly. Right. I mean, th th but that's what we're that's what we're talking about. Right. 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 And that's how we got to this conversation, like with the ancestor arc. How two hundred years from now, when I'm the ancestor, right? What do I want the people who are attached to all of this awesome from awesome. 2020? Just, just awesome. this is just awesome. This. This is a whole lot of brother, uh, but <laughs> but 
that's where the question really came from. And that's because we, we started developing this in the summer, you know, because we, you know, doing things. And so I was like, well, we got to ask people how they do this. Because what you do, I, yeah, you know what I mean? Like what you do matters, <laughs> you know, like it's, I, yeah, we think it's so awesome. Go ahead. Yeah, sometimes we don't spend enough time, again, sitting with ourselves, analyzing, and then not just analyzing, but fixing it. Right, yes. You got to fix it. So I could analyze, oh, I'm going to stay in this career because my mom stayed in her career, even though she was wanting to do something else. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, okay. I, I know why, but if I don't ever do anything about it, I have not changed my family tree. I have not right. changed my ancestry at all. The minute right. I change my ancestry and I realize it is okay to change careers and it's okay to do something different, then I can now teach my kids how to do it because guess what? I did it. I did it. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Right? Most parents, what they want to do is just live vicariously through their kids. You know, I they just, want their kids to change something that didn't, they didn't change in themselves right. and they can help their kids get there because mm-hmm. they don't know how to do it. Right. Yes. It's what, you know, the downfall, I'll stop talking, but the downfall, no, of one of the barriers for first generation students. Right. So I'm on a college campus and we have a large population of first generation students. And it's mm-hmm. not because these students aren't smart. It's right. that's not why they're failing. Mm-mm. It's because they have no one to show them the way that sits with them at three o'clock in the morning, like a parent can. Right. When I was in college, my mother had her PhD. So I could be like, Mama, <gasps> girl, go in there, get your seat and get out of that class. Stop acting crazy. You know? Right, right. Like, right. Go graduate with a C, go. Right, when I'm first gen, and I said that to my, like my mom, with her mom. My mom, my grandmother wanted my mom to have straight A's because she thought that was the only way she could stay in college. Mm-hmm. Right, so the right. pressure from my mother was so great. I didn't have that pressure because my mom realized, C's get degrees, or they C's <laughs> get degrees, I guess. You know, she realized that the pressure doesn't need to be on. So she didn't put the pressure on us. Right, right. Right, and so for my kids, and she put pressure on to stay in a major, get the major and get, get graduated, right? Right. But for my kids, I'm like, honey, if it takes you five years, it takes you five years. Just figure out what you want to do. Right. Figure it out. Figure it out. Right. Figure it out. See that, and that's powerful. I think that's absolutely powerful. And I say all that because it is. It's powerful. You know, it took me. Whew, I can't. It took me 17 years to graduate from college, and it wasn't because. I, w- I didn't have the aptitude, obviously. Right, obviously. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't that. I just my priorities were all kind of jacked up, but I had some stuff I hadn't dealt with. Right. <laughs> and I compounded, you know, and I I, be- I was a father, a teen father, and so there's some things I needed to do, and I was a horrible father, and so you reconcile with those things until you deal with the pain. Right. Until you deal with the pain. Right. And so I think, and that connects to like one of my next questions and related to COVID. And then as we, we roll through this, this speed round, I, for me, when, when COVID-19 hit, I got to be honest and somebody's going to be upset about me saying this. I was excited. <laughs> now I was excited for a lot of reasons. I was excited okay. because it gave me time to connect with my eight year old. It gave me time to attempt to reconnect with my 22 year old daughter. Cause I hadn't spoken to my two, I'd been estranged from my child mm. for, uh, for years and COVID-19, everybody sitting down, they get, I, perfect. Look, me and big girl, 
we 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 get we text every couple of days, and I'm 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 as happy as I've been in a long time. And she's probably my twin, my kindred of all of my children. Jocelyn Murray is probably the most like me. How beautiful is that? It's awesome. So I like I said, I I've been cool. I've had a great time with COVID. Look, I didn't got look degrees. Uh, you keep all that. <laughs> I reconnected with my child. So. Even in that, like right there, and the beautifulness is not the time that you've been able to spend with her. The beautifulness is that you actually corrected the experience. Exactly. Right? Some people don't realize that it only takes one moment to change your entire life. Mm-hmm. Like literally, you, you, made, you made a decision, and in that moment that you picked up the phone, text, whatever, and said, baby girl, let's talk. That's it. I, I, I sent word, she sent me a message. And we that's it. And again, you you change your ancestry right then. Exactly. Right. She no longer can say, I have an absent father. So you you healed that for her. She healed it for herself by you know responding to you. And now she's changed her family history, right. even though she ain't got no history family to have a history with yet. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think it's absolutely beautiful. And I think that's one of the ways, like you said, that's how you build them. And I think that. You know, this thing, you know, when you get busy, because everybody keeps, we keep telling that lie, you know, like everybody's got a different time frame, like the 86, four, you know, 86,400 doesn't apply to everybody. Right. Everybody. <laughs> like, oh, oh, you got a different, okay. All right, my bad. I forgot. You got 36 hours in your day. <laughs> you know, so that, and I'm just going to fast forward because I know that you've given me so many gems to read from as a book wise. So I got to ask because the people need to know what are you reading? Throw them books out there, doc. Come on. So I, I've, I've taken like another, I don't know. I'm doing stuff crazy right now. That's um, so I'm reading probably four books right now. <laughs> uh, one is predictably irrational. That sounds like me. Uh, I love that book. It's by an economic behavioralist. Mm. So he, has, you know, he has some kind of PhD in economics and a PhD in, in, in psychology. Ooh. And he's talking about how we kind of get people to buy things. Um, and the way that you make decisions is from a ir- very irrational place, mm-hmm. but it's predictable. Like mm. that's how marketing people get shit and things like that. So I'm reading that about, you know, how we make a decision, how we, how we come to decisions. Mm-hmm. Also took took a step back and I'm reading the ISIS papers mm. um, by Frances Cress Wesling, mm-hmm. um, and she's a, a psychiatrist or she was a psychiatrist. She's passed away a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that was very much into uh, race and sociology and sociology mm-hmm. of race. Um, amazing, amazing woman. And so I'm reading her book, and that book is probably 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also reading. Uh, the first black millionaires. Ooh. Um, so it's basically about the first six black millionaires right after slavery and how did they come into their wealth? Mm-hmm. Um, so is that three? That's yeah. three. I like There's another book. Ooh, the first black millionaire. See, um, people need to know these things. Yeah. So those are the three that are on top of my. There's another one, but I can't think of what it is. I, I mm-hmm. haven't even really dove into that one yet. But okay. So those are the three that are on my on my coffee table. 
See, that's 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 awesome, and and I tell people this. I just said this in the in the last person I was speaking to, and I think I probably said this to you before. And if I didn't, let me say it now. I stopped getting. I stopped getting so like bent out of shape about going like, I'm gonna get this book and I'm gonna go cover to cover. Oh, no. Right? Cause it, I start thinking about it in this context. You know, I was raised in the church. Nobody sits and reads the Bible cover to cover on Sunday, or Monday, oh. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You, cause you can't do it, but you right. can read this chapter. Right, right. And you can read, the, you know, you can read this chapter and you can get that verse. Yeah, and you might be able to get to like fifteen other lessons, but I think that's that also shapes the way I think in terms of education. If I can sit down and have a conversation with Dr. Ross Alexander, and I can sit down and I can talk to Tammy. Tammy Hines. Shout out to Tammy Hines, my favorite psychotherapist. That's right. She's my favorite too. My absolute favorite. Now she's probably half my size in height. <laughs> like literally, height. <laughs> literally half. Half my height, Tammy. I said height. <laughs> she's gonna try to slap me through the phone if she if she heard me say size. She's not as big as me. Ain't nobody. There's not a lot of people bigger than me. But anyway, if, yes. If I could get if I can get the room with you and I can get with uh, like you just said the the predictably irrational guy and I can sit in the room with uh, some other like scientific type of person and I can get in the room with an English person and all these folks. That's a pretty doggone good education. Yeah, you're doing pretty good. Right? I got a shot to figure out what it is I need to know. Right? Yeah. And, I th and I think that I know that, that for me, that came from like the Bible and a bunch of experiences from screwing up and failing forward and failing backwards and sideways. <laughs> All the failures. All the failures. But I think that that's kind of like, that's the thing. You know, and so I think that it's awesome to share like what people are reading because I'm gonna put that in the notes and 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 share. We you know we get books. We got look this. We got books. <laughs> we got books. <laughs> yeah, you got books. Yeah, got books. yeah, got a few. You know, we got books. Race after technology. We gonna read some. Yes, we talk about race. We got to because it's obvious we need to. Uh, and we're gonna talk about church and so on and so forth. But let me ask you these questions. This this is gonna be the the rapid fire, the hard okay. questions. Okay. Get ready now. Come on, we're we gonna find out what, what they was listening to uh, when UNLV was uh, running things in Vegas. The running <laughs> Rebs. The running Rebels. The Stacey Augman and all them dudes. Larry Johnson. <laughs> nah, I tell you what. Greg, uh, what, Anthony Hunt? <laughs> oh, Anderson Hunt. Anderson Hunt. Anderson Hunt and Greg Anthony. Greg, look, I remember that team. That was like back in, back in the day. That was my first trip to Vegas was like in 1990. My uncle moved from San Diego to Vegas. Mm. So, you know, shout out to Circus Circus. Circus. Uh, <laughs> love you. Uh, so we went, but anyway, uh, let, let's find out. Here we go. Okay. All right. Top three lists. All right. All time top three rap group duo. Duo? Pick one. Either way, you can go group or do, okay. do you, okay. you want to go artists. Now the I artists go, are Okay, so you got Wu-Tang Clan. Wu-Tang, okay. Uh, then you got Goody Mob. Ooh, who's that peeking in the window? And three, ah, oh, so I, you know, I'm from Vegas and I really like the, you know, gangster, gangster rap, so, um, I guess Scarface probably is my next one. Ooh. 
Shout out to my people in North Vegas. <laughs> yeah, Scarface is probably my, yeah. My mom really didn't like my music. <laughs> yeah, see. I tell people all the time when the kids come in, I saw one of my students this year had a uh, had a doggy style album t-shirt. I'm like, look, you don't know nothing about that life. <laughs> when I say nothing about that life, like you, I mean, I used to love NWA growing up too, you know, right. but like they're like popular now. Like they were not, they were popular, but in a bad way. Like, right. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. whatever. Ice Cube was not uh, on Disney movies back in the day. <laughs> like, let's, let's just keep it real. He wasn't on no Disney movies. Ooh, so. People don't, they don't, they, they don't know. They, they, they just they, don't. Either they don't know, don't show, or just don't They don't it. care about what's going on in the ghetto. <laughs> in the hood, in the hood. These kids have no idea. All right, here we go. Favorite foods, top three favorite foods or meals. I love Thai food. So, really? Um, Tom Yum is my favorite. I mm -hmm. love, 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 love that. Um, pho is probably my next one, Vietnamese soup. Pho show. Um, and dressing. Dressing. Like really? Dressing. And le shon asada. I like that too. Really? I, yeah. I, I eat everything. Okay, now this is a spinoff question off of this food now, because I had this conversation with somebody, and I'm trying to remember who it was. How old does the person have to be for you to eat that potato salad? Oh, they gotta definitely be older than me. Okay. That's for sure. Okay. Um, I, I probably would be in the 60, 65 years old. They got to be up there. They got to really know about the potato salad. Like, right. Yeah, that was, that was Dr. Jones. I was talking to Brandon Jones this morning. That's who it was. Yeah. I, look, I, look I, you, you need to have some weathered skin. Yeah, you got to be up there. I mean, I'm 45, so you got to be at least older. Like, right. I feel like I know how to make potato salad because my big mama showed me how to make potato salad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you didn't hang out with my big mama, then... Yeah, you got to. I'd look. Between me and my big mama. Right. Like, see, and see, and Dr. Jones and I, we we came up. We said, look, you had to have, you you had to have a connection to a Jerry curl. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That. That. Yeah. Okay. I'm talking about old enough to go get it on your own connection, not <laughs> not to get the ride. <laughs> Not, not yeah, what S curl was, huh? Yeah, you um, had to have that S curl, that leisure curl, the world of curls. Right, and you have to know what a jet magazine was, like the real magazine, the real, like the real, real jets. And you had to be able to open. Look, you had to know not to open. <laughs> Ooh. Look, my hands was perfect on that. Like every time, it didn't. <laughs> wow, like. You got, you got to know what fashion fair, fashion fair makeup is. If you don't know yeah. what fashion fair. If your auntie ain't wore no fashion fair, she cannot make no potato salad. That's what I'm talking about. That's yeah. exactly what I'm talking about. Now I know that was, yeah, that's a tangent, but that look, we got to be real. You can't just be eating everybody's potato salad. We ain't got no time for or that. Or dressing for that matter. Like or dressing. Now who's making now what kind of now look? That's gonna take that's another here's another tangent. We eating Jiffy. Okay. I love Jiffy cornbread. Let me tell you what. <laughs> I love me some chicken cornbread. That is the best cornbread ever. My, now, my big mama made it with Alberts. Like, you had to have Alberts. Mm -hmm. That's yep. her thing. But mm -hmm. I love chicken cornbread. 
my grandfather, I used to call him Papa Junius, used to tell me, baby girl, no, he called me girl baby. He didn't call me baby girl. Girl baby, that's some sweet cornbread. Don't nobody want no sweet cornbread. I'm like, grandpa, it's, it's good. Yeah, you, we got right. Yeah, because now I can go uh -huh. both ways. You can, I still make Do you? Yeah, we still, oh, that's, that's the only cornbread that's coming up out of this house. I'm going to tell Love you. Love me some and the dressing is gonna come from that jiffy. And the jiffy, exactly. Look, look, don't play with us around here. We ain't got time for that. Okay, now look, <laughs> uh, we gonna skip that sports question. We ain't worried about that. Let's talk okay. about this. Top okay. three favorite restaurants. Now, I know you've been some places. So, okay, so my favorite restaurant of all times is, is really random. My favorite restaurant of all times was a place across the street from campus called Smith Saigon. It was a Vietnamese soup place. Mm -hmm. And they had every variation of Vietnamese soup you could possibly imagine. Really? Like, literally, you would go in and order the one all the way. They had 50 different flavors. It was amazing. So that was my favorite. It is no longer there. So I'm a little upset. Um, wow. My second favorite, it, I like I told you, I like Asian food a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, I went to Thailand last summer. And the W Hotel in Bangkok has the most favorite, fabulous buffet of all times. Like, really? of all times. Yes. See. All times. I'm trying to get, I'm like B.A. Uh, Baracus when it comes to getting on airplanes. You're going okay, to have to now. You know I can cure you of that. You're going to have to knock me. You're going to knock Look, no, I'm, I'm going to need a volume, some Ativan. Uh, I'm going to need a cocktail to get on that bad boy. <laughs> You know, yeah, they, don't, they don't make them seats for uh for grown folk. That, well, that, you know what? On international flights, it's very different. Now, American flights are, you know, suspect. But international flights, even though those folks tend to be a smaller folks, mm -hmm. their planes are really spacious. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm going to commit to doing it because I, I promised myself I was just going to start living. I'm going to just leave. Yeah, you, gotta, you just got to get on it. You know, you just got to do it. I'm going to leave. Third favorite place is in Las Vegas. Well, I love I love Vegas buffets. Like I don't, really, I'm not a buffet person, but I love Vegas buffets. So I will eat at like the Encore buffet is really, mm -hmm. really, really nice. So I love that one. And then there's one in Caesar's Palace. Um, can't think of the name of it right now, yeah. but it's really nice too. I think it's Nouveau. Shout out to the yeah. Yeah, but my all-time favorite in Vegas is a place. It's one of those steamer places called mm -hmm. Hot Juicy. Oh my god, like. Yo, really? you cannot be dressed up. You got to wear your old clothes now because you're going to get messy. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, that seafood, seafood is so good. Oh, my God. It's great. It's amazing. Really? See? Now, Lizette's going to hear this, and she's going to say, well, I ain't never been to Vegas. My husband won't take me to Vegas. I'll now, take it to Vegas. Tell her she can get on the plane and meet me there. Look, you, you heard that? All right, look, I'm going to tell her. Cause I'll take her, but you know. You know my people there. I'll hook y'all up. See that we gotta go, you know, and I told her we gotta go. It's it's just timing, but we gonna go. We, what else are we gonna do? Sit around here and do nothing. No, you know, Vegas is opening up next week. <laughs> is it really? Look, yes. I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need a gas mask and a hazmat suit before they get me out this house. Uh, Let me tell you what, you'll be all right. But okay, I'm, I'm you know we the underlying conditions delegation. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here yeah. we go. Throne, he's still in control. So <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. All right, last one right here. Top three movies of all time. Boys in the Hood, Men in Society, 
and Poetic Justice. Ooh. I, like, I mean, Love and Basketball, too. Love and Basketball. That's one of my favorite ones, too. See, see, see. But I do love Boys in the Hood. That's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite. And Minister Society, I love that one, too. Oh, and, and you know, I know all the words. So I just, you know, I, yeah. I was Janet Jackson with them brains and poetic justice. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, man. Pac, Pac, see, that was, that was a good movie. I thought it was, I thought it was awesome. Like, you know, my boy, uh, Chicago, you know, he was even a little different. Everybody got a Chicago in their crew. You can't Everybody. Yeah, I just love, and you know, I just love those movies. Yeah. yeah, John John Singleton did a great job, man. He he doesn't get enough credit. No, he doesn't get rest 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 easy, sir. Rest right. easy. That's why we got to take care of Spike. I'm trying to say, right? We got to take care of Spike. Cause he had my favorite movie for all of all time. I love. I must have watched School Days a thousand times. That Ooh. was one of my favorite movies. <laughs> and then these other ones. Yeah. See. And Spike doesn't get enough love because everybody thinks he's crazy. He he is. Well, you know, all the artistic ones are. They gotta get a little right. off. Where else okay. are you coming up with all these ideas? Right. We still love them. You know? Right. Oh. Think about how quiet they had to be to come up with that stuff. Right. <laughs> or high. One of the two numbers. Well, hey, just, look, it's still like, it's, I just say you're high. I'm just saying. Peace. You know, the tranquil mood. That's awesome. Now, let's tell the people, and I'm going to put y'all, uh, don't worry about the website. We're putting the website information up because we need people. We Look, mental health matters. Take care of your people. Take care of your mentals. As, as my man Marcel Lynch said, take care of your mentals. Take care yeah, of your I love him. He said, I'm just here so I don't get fined. That's it. <laughs> I love that. I love this guy. That's <laughs> it. I ain't mad at him. I love it, man. And I, I just, that's so much richness and then just genius inside that man that folks yes, keep missing. They just miss. But so tell folks social media wise how they can get, they can get you so they can follow some of these so, likes you make. I'm, I'm a Twitter girl. So it's Dr. Mari, D-R-M-A-R-I Ross, R-O-S-S, the at sign, you know, whatever it is yeah, on yeah. Twitter. Instagram, I have an account, but yeah, don't know what that is. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Just Twitter. That's all right. Get hey, get uh, get Dr. Mari Ross on the Twitter at Dr. Mari Ross. Get it right. We'll get it hooked up. That's M A R I R O S S. Get your mind right, people. And if you can't get your mind right, you know, DM Dr. Mari Ross. Yeah, we'll help you out. Yeah, we get you hooked up. Doc, you know we love you in our house. And I love both of you. You guys are an amazing, amazing couple. We we working, we fighting, we we you know we and we got some hairbrain ideas coming that's gonna shake up the shake up. Whole world is coming. We coming. So all you people worried about that status quo and complacency. <laughs> you better pump your brakes. We coming. <laughs> well, Doc, let me let you get to your weekend. We yeah. appreciate you. We love you. If you need us, call Tammy. <laughs> Feed Lizette, please. Make Look, her some dinner. I'm going to go in there and get my wife so hooked up. <laughs> she's going to be asleep before 10 o'clock. I love it. I love it. I'm All right. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye.
This is Behind the Whistle. Thank you for listening. See you next time.